This is a recording from the University of Leicester. Welcome everybody to uh, the Scarman Lecture Series, lecture given by Professor John Lee, who is a visiting professor at Brighton at the moment. It is a tremendous delight and indeed a privilege and an honour to be able to introduce John. So I'm approaching the question of the privatisation of the English probation service. And I say the English probation service because it's not happening anywhere else, either in Europe or in Scotland, or from the standpoint of looking at the neoliberal state. Or that is to say, the types of reconfigurations of the state which are being undertaken by governments inspired by neoliberalism. So I want to start off by just saying a, a, a few... Um, making a few points about what I understand by neoliberalism, particularly as it um, influences the present government. There are two aspects to neoliberalism. One, of, of course, is rolling back the state, reducing taxation, privatising or outsourcing as many of those um, activities and public utilities which the state acquired during the uh, welfare state period and um, before providing new opportunities for private investment in hitherto public um, utilities, increasing, allegedly, <laughs> I say allegedly, increasing the efficiency of services through the introduction of competition and business methods. But also, very importantly, encouraging individual responsibility, encouraging individuals to take responsibility for their own lives, um, acting prudentially and in many ways, substituting the welfare for the welfare principle, the, the pr principle of prudentialism. Now, when we talk about... OK, we could spend all day talking about the privatisation of the railways or the health service, but um, when we talk about privatising the criminal justice system, we have to be careful because we are approaching what Max Weber famously defined as the state, as that institution which has a monopoly of legitimate coercion. You can't go too far. Um, privatise that even the most diehard neoliberal privatizer in Europe at any rate possibly things in the United States are different and um, we can't privatize the power to arrest yet but we can privatize all sorts of uh, ancillary or back office policing services and indeed have been doing so we can't privatize the courts uh, the power of the judge is the unique um, person who can send you down uh, or put you on probation, but we can have a damn good job at privatising um, uh, court services, translators, um, we can abolish legal aid, and we can do all sorts of uh, things which, which directly bring the, the rigorous, the bracing principles of the market into the um, criminal justice system. When we're talking about the penal system, the prisons and probation, we have less of a problem because we're dealing with people who are already on disposals. They've been disposed of by, and by the courts. And if they end up in a prison run by um, Group 4 Security, that's OK. And um, if they end up on probation run by... Well, until quite recently, uh, the prospect of, of ending up on probation run by Group 4 Security was, was uh, almost a certainty, although certain things have happened which I shall entertain you with um, um, later, which make that slightly less um, likely. But the other aspect, equally important, of neoliberalism is reconfiguring the state. That is to say, the difference between neoliberalism and classic liberalism is that classical liberalism assumed, um, as it were, the free market, assumed people pursuing their own interests, and assumed that the, the famous words of Adam Smith, all would be for the best in the best of all possible worlds, that would be, we would all be winners. Whereas 
Neoliberalism understands that the principles of the market, the principles of individual responsibility, have to be reproduced by conscious social policy, coercively if necessary in, 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 in some cases, um, and that there will be losers, and that we need to, uh, as it were, monitor, contain, and guarantee security against the losers, hence the idea of risk groups and uh, so on. So part of reconfiguring the state, or the activity of reconfiguring the state, is as important as rolling back the state. Um, making the transition from welfare citizenship to individual responsibility, making the transition from what David Garland called penal welfare, the idea of offenders as citizens in need of assisted rehabilitation into non-criminogenic lifestyles, to a much more austere regime of teaching responsibility, um, replacing um, welfare with workfare, um, teaching people to... Uh, um, become little entrepreneurs by uh, making sure they don't get security benefit, social security benefits if they don't um, act properly, um, and also erecting an apparatus of security and surveillance and protection to manage those who have failed. And it's, in, it's that dialectic, if you like, between on the one hand rolling back the state, on the other hand extending it, which um, um, it explains a lot of the contradictions in neoliberalism, and uh, of course which work their way work their way through the political system in different ways in different governments and in different ways in different countries. In France, it's quite different to here. Here, it's quite different under David Cameron's coalition government than it was under Tony Blair's um, um, New Labour. But there are these... In my opinion, if you grasp this tension, you, you can understand a lot of what's going on. And so when, the, when Chris Grayling decided to privatise probation, it was a case study that simply could not be ignored, and it's in that sense that I um, introduce you both to Chris, who's up there in the um, top right-hand corner, and um, some of the people he, he, the probation officers that he wants to privatise, who, who, that's when they were on strike in um, last November, they, they're having another strike at the end of this month. Such is the feeling of utter antagonism and despair, and, and certainly fury but by many of the probation officers who I know, who have student, been students of mine at various times and with whom I, I've been in contact. Um, the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is, is something that, that just seems to be uh, um, un, un, um, not, or not appreciated by um, Chris. Indeed, some people would say that the government is acting in an in a, a overtly ideological way in the sense that uh, advice from the Ministry of Justice in many cases w was allegedly ignored. Um, Mr Grading certainly didn't wait for the outcome of various pilot studies of components of his privatisation programme, particularly payment by results, um, which I'll, I'll come back to. And um, in, in, in an act of seeming um, incoherent disingenuity, um, he actually referred... Um, as justification for the, uh, the need to privatise the probation service, the very high rate of reoffending by, you know, by people under 12-month sentences, serving under 12-month sentences, for which the probation service has had no responsibility at all for, for many, um, many years. And so that sort of, if you like, um, courageous, and from a ne neoliberal position, sort of courageous flying in the face of established interests um, tells you something about the determination um, 
the government. Even if the experiment fails, it will be, and even if we sort of have to go back to some codging together, it have to be done quite rapidly of, of the existing system, um, it'll be an interesting experiment in um, neoliberalism in action, which is how I want to um, deal with it. First of all, let's just look very briefly at the, um, the new regime, which um, the grading plan or transforming rehabilitation will bring in. There will be a slimmed-down national probation service who will manage high-risk offenders, about 12% of the 330-odd uh, thousand um, offenders currently on, on um, um, probation. The NPS will be... Um, will do all the initial risk assessments, it will write the court reports, and it will be part of the state. Indeed, NPS, uh, probation officers working for um, NPS, uh, will be civil servants. Very interesting um, development. A friend of mine in probation has just been told he's being allocated to the NPS, said, OK, where's my uniform? Where's my pistol? Where are my handcuffs? I mean, in other words, are we going down the American... Does this mean we're going down the American route to... Uh, sort of a much more coercive parole system of, of uh, and incidentally charging, charging people for their own um, um, probation. Under that, uh, the NPS will be organised into six areas, which don't seem to correspond to anything as far as anyone can understand. Um, under that, the existing 35 probation trusts will be abolished. It was going to be this month. It's now been put back to um, May. Some elements of it seem to have been put back to December, but there's a, there's a degree of chaos out there if you talk to probation staff anyway, about people not knowing where they're going to be in, in, in a short amount of, of time, whether they're going to be shunted over to the private sector, where, what's going to happen? Um, anyway, we, we only, we're looking at May, 20, May this year. Um, probation trusts do have the option of, of becoming a sort of cooperative, mutual, uh, as, and, and becoming a, uh, where they can contract for... Um, government work, along with voluntary sector organisations and um, the private security industry. The 35 probation trusts will be replaced by 21 community re rehabilitation companies. I like the phrase, community rehabilitation companies, it has a lovely American sort of echo to it, and uh, almost an 18th century English uh, notion, companies for community rehabilitation, who will manage low and medium risk offenders. There will be 21 of those. You don't have to be a mathematical genius to know that the CRC um, areas will be much bigger than the, the existing probation areas. And, and, and that in itself has, has, has consequences for the composition of, of the private um, sector. They will bid between them for, and are, have been bidding, and I'll show you a map about, uh, hopefully towards the end, about what we know um, so far about how the bids are going. Um, for 800 million worth of, of government contracts for managing low and medium risk um, offenders. And the entities who will bid either singly or in consortia joining together will consist of three elements, it's important, of, of the private sector. The probation mutuals, the probation co-ops, if you like, I've just mentioned. Voluntary sector organisations, those organisations which have spent a long time and have a lot of experience in working with offenders of particular types, um, women offenders, um, ethnic minority offenders, offenders with particular problems, young offenders and so on, have a great deal of experience in the voluntary sector. They will be able to bid for 
um, CRC contracts and well, are able to bid. Um, but alongside them, looming like a uh, sort of ghostly thing over them is the global, what I call the security industrial complex. I'm talking about the big private security or security management companies. We were, to, as I say, we were to, until recently talking about Group 4 Security and Serco, but there are, who are not in the running just at the moment, but there are plenty of um, others who, who, who I should talk about. People who have their origins in guarding, surveillance, CCTV, monitoring, vetting, a type of security orientation. It's quite different from the origins of the probation service, which is, remember, once went under the slogan, advise, assist and befriend. Now, the discussion has been largely about, and I'm summarising an awful lot here, obviously, um, but it's, um, and there are things I've missed out and, and things, in fact, you have people here at Leicester who, who know far more about certain aspects of, of, of this than, than um, I do. Um, but the discussion has largely been conducted in terms of the likely teething troubles of this system of state withdrawal or privatising that which was previously public. Um, and all sorts of questions are, are being raised. If you read the probation blogosphere, there, there, there's lots of very intense discussions about a number of these problems. But just in summary form, I think there are two types of problems that, that, that people are, are raising, both within and outside the um, profession. Uh, one set of problems concerns the relationship between the parts, in other words, between the uh, commu various community relations companies themselves and between the CRCs and the National Probation Service. And they're problems which are f f reasonably familiar in any situation of privatisation. They will now be competition be between providers. What, what will be the implications of that? Will it lead to data hoarding? Will, will, will people um, hide their best practices in order to improve their competitive position? Uh, in the next bidding round rather than, than, than sharing them. Is that going to happen? Um, how will the, the CRCs relate upwards to the National Probation Service? Um, will, there be an in will there be, for example, an incentive, incentive to overestimate the risk level of your um, people in order to shunt them upwards into the hands of the NPS and say, here you are, they've become a dangerous risk, you take them over. <laughs> we, we, we'll just deal with these people who, who we know we can, we can handle. What... I, I mean, all these are, are, are um, open questions. Where is there going to be leadership in a world in which, in which the, there's no longer the probation service, but a fragmentation between people working in the NPS, people working for private security companies, people working for voluntary sector organisations? Okay, the government have, uh, quite late in the day, set up a thing called the Probation Institute, which was launched just recently, uh, which, which is aimed to create some sort of... Uh, cohesion and identity and sharing of information and leadership but it's it's a very untested thing so there are also and there are other relations there are relations if you like between uh, the problem of what the relations how smoothly the relations between the various parts of the new system will will work and then there are what might be called outcome problems because um, the key element in the awarding of contracts is payment by results, PBR. And in other words, if your offenders who you subcontracted to look after re-offend within a certain period of time, then you don't get the bonus, you don't get the payment. 
um, what will the consequences of that be? Success will be measured as simple non-offending. Every probation officer knows that the process of getting your client back in, uh, into desistance from, from crime is a long and laborious process and may involve further offending. Hopefully your bank rob your armed robber will only do a bit of shoplifting, but they may well commit further offences. I mean, it's, for anyone trained in the social work background, it's a process. It's a, it's a long-term process and requires a labour-intensive, very close relationship between the practitioner and the client. Here we are with payment by results. Have your people re-offended in a certain period or not? Well, OK, one way to... Uh, stop the re-offending is make sure they're stoned out of their head on drugs. I mean, in other words, the, the measurement of outcomes is notoriously difficult in, in areas like this and can lead to all sorts of problems. Someone from the Social Market Foundation has, has worked out that there might well be perverse incentives built into the payment by a results system in which it, it would be better for a provider to do nothing <laughs> than um, actually spend a lot of time trying to get his offenders, out, their offenders out of crime stop them re-offending, but not make it and therefore not collect the bonus um, and they will have lost money. I mean, there are all sorts of debates about uh, um, this. I'm just trying to give you the, the flavour of them. Will payment by results lead to intensive cherry-picking? Um, you know, we'll take those offenders because we think we can handle them, but we don't want those. Um, that, the, that's happened to some extent in, in private prison, uh, in the private prison area. Um, is it, 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 will it become a major part of probation work? How, how, do we, how do we deal with that? Will people have a disincentive to report breaches? Uh, that is to say, when the offender does do a serious further offence and has to be called back to court, that'll count against you in the next bidding round, so maybe you have an incentive to, uh, um, not to report those. How is data going to be secured in, in between CRCs if a company um, doesn't um, succeed in the next bidding round and no longer... You know, does probation work? It's got all this data. Who's who's going to control that? Um, and you know, the, people said the lost laptop problem will become a, and the lost um, USB key problem will become monumental in, in the, with lots of sensitive data about people's lives and offences. That's how the debate seems to be going on um, at the moment. If you read the newspapers, if you read the probation journals, if you read the probation blogs, and talk to probation officers. I want to suggest that, that, that there's um, something more complex going on in which the idea of simply rolling back the state doesn't quite capture um, the complexity of things. Um, I would rather say that, that there's a, and this is part of the complicated nature of reconfiguring, a, a reconfiguring the state in, in, in neoliberal terminology, there actually are complex relations between three quite distinct entities. People tend to say, okay, rolling back the state and privatising it. And so there's a binary between the state, which is pulling back the public probation service, and the private sector. Actually, there are three entities, each of which have quite complicated relations, or have had and will have quite complicated relations, it seems to me. There's the state, or if you prefer the Ministry of Justice, the, the government. There's the voluntary sector which of char charities and um, previously grant-funded um, entities which, which do very good work um, with, with offenders, and there are the private security agencies, and they have to be separated out, and we have to look at the relations between each of them and the conflicts. If we take, if we, if, 
and it seems to me we can find three sort of dynamics that need to be grasped quite um, separately. On the one hand, if you look at the relationship between the state and the voluntary sector, although we're now talking about privatisation, in fact there's been a whole period in which um, state control of the voluntary sector has been increasing. And indeed some aspects of the current privatisation will increase state control over the voluntary sector. So it's not a, a simple sort of pulling back um, privatisation. There are the relations between the, private, the voluntary sector agencies and the, and the private security companies, which, as I say, come from quite different backgrounds, have different cultures, um, and one, I think, is more powerful than the other. The private security companies are much more powerful than, than many of the voluntary agencies, dependent on declining grant income, um, as they are. What effect is that going to have? In other words, that lateral relationship is, is as important, it seems to me, as the relationship between public and, and non-public. And finally, what is the um, relationship between these very powerful private security companies and the state going to be? Is there going to be a process of fusion? Interesting debate, in, in, in which I'll just touch on briefly if I have time, about, about private sections of, of private industry really becoming part of the state, becoming part of the criminal justice system. Let's look first at the relations between the state and the voluntary sector. Okay, if you look at the history of probation, you don't have to be an expert to, to know that probation itself started off in the voluntary sector. And its history was one of gradual, um, increased supervision by an absorption um, as part of the criminal justice system um, of the state. The, the original orientations to rehabilitation strong traditions of autonomy and localism in, in, in the probation service, which owe very much to its origins in, in the voluntary sector. Um, I remember at the begin, beginning of the 1980s, um, uh, some probation officers I was talking to with my colleague Wendy Fitzgibbon, we were looking at the attitudes of probation officers towards the riots of 2011, and we found a, a, a guy who'd been in, in, he's now a senior manager, he'd been in an office in Brixton, in 1981, and he said, it's amazing, he said, totally different, we had total autonomy, our local office, we could respond to the riots, we could respond to the needs of the um, particular communities, we, we could respond to the um, Scarman report, we actually developed a whole orientation in South London probation to try and deal with the um, um, new reality of, 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 of um, ethnic relations. We didn't, and the Home Office didn't say a thing. The Home Office didn't give us any instructions. It didn't tell us what risk calculations to make. It, it, it told us nothing. And from the 80s onwards, the increasing central direction of the probation service through targets, national standards, the role of the inspectorate, the, the move away, although never entirely, from labour-intensive social work with offenders towards a much more author authoritative risk management surveillance, orientation to public protection, the breaking of probation training away from social work, um, the de-skilling of practitioners, the increasing employment of, uh, of um, PSOs or probation service officers, semi-skilled, and, and the whole orientation towards surveillance, risk assessment, box ticking and so on, which people like Wendy Fitzgibbon have, have, have written extensively about and show how it's changed and has changed the character of, of um, um, probation. So, in other words, there's a theme of increased state control. Now, elements of the so-called privatisation um, 
move, it seems to me, will actually intensify that state control because the National Probation Service will be further sucked into the state. They will be civil servants. And, that will, that, and eventually that means that the heads of the service will come from within the civil service, maybe people who've had no um, probation background themselves. Well, well we don't know, but, but that's a, a, um, a reasonable um, um, assumption as older members retire. So the elite sort of, or rump if you prefer, National Probation Service will be even more closely integrated as a branch of the Ministry of Justice. It, it will be much more like, um, it'll probably have less autonomy than, than, than most police forces. Um, so we're not simply talking about um, pulling back the state. There's another sense in which the voluntary sector, charity sector, will find itself in, um, under greater state control, it seems to me. Not only to me. Um, in 2004, I think it was, the, the probation service that was introduced what was known as, in the jargon as contestability. That is the requirement on probation trust to outsource a lot of their uh, specialist work with particular types of vendors to experienced um, charities. Uh, these charities now are, are absolutely central. A student of mine at, at the University of Brighton who, who works for a, a, a very good charity group called uh, Sussex Pathways was telling me... Um, Last year, she said, uh, you know, we spend more time with the offenders than the probation officers do. The probation officers are so overworked that they just about know their names and their risk scores. <laughs> we actually do all that stuff which used to be um, come under the rubric of advise, assist and befriend. You know, we do the labour-intensive help people. Now, what's going to happen to them on payment by results contracts? I, I've, I've all... I've already mentioned that, that, that where there's a simple binary measure of have you re-offended or, or not. It's undermining that type of social work um, um, relationship. But the other, the, the second point is that um, when you were subcontracting for, for the probation service, it was the probation service that handled things like breaches, your, your violation of your parole conditions or community sentence and, and your return to prison. The probation service did that, not the charity. But if you're going to take on all probation tasks, then you're going to have to handle breaches as well. In other words, a lot of people in the voluntary sector are worried that their relationship with their clients will change, will become more coercive, will become more um, um, authoritarian. Um, and, of course, a lot of the charities do do advocacy, political advocacy, on behalf of resources for their client groups, and they're worried that... Um, um, again, as recipients of Ministry of Justice probation contracts, and the levels of grant funding for private charity, voluntary sector charities are continually falling. I mean, so much for the big society, which we don't hear too much about nowadays, um, is, is uh, a, wor a worry that a lot of people in the voluntary sector have, I know. And they're worried that they will become more supervised, not less supervised by the... Uh, State. So again, the, the notion of sort of simple privatisation as state withdrawal doesn't really work in, in that um, um, model. What about the relationship, which the, the, the second theme I identified was the relationship between the voluntary and the private security sectors. Again, now I wrote, I, I last talked about this when Group for Security and Serco were very much in the, in the, in the running for the... Um, first round of, of, of bid, um, bidding process. My personal opinion is they will be, they're in disgrace at the moment, but <laughs> they will be back. But there's a logic to the system. 
Payment by results means delayed payments. If you're a small charity, you can't afford to wait for your payment. If you're a big multinational security company, you can wait while, the, while, the, while your scores are calculated and, and, and your payments will be... The big providers will be um, um, advantaged. Um, the binary measure of success built into payment by results. Have, you, have your people re-offended or not? Answer only yes or no. no uh, what's that line in prison? Answering only yes or no. Have your people re-offended or not? Um, yes, no, sorry. Um, that replaces, as I said, this old social work notion of, you know, of, of traditional probation work, of desistance as a, as a process of helping people gradually back into and not expending, expecting them to desist um, all at once. And again, that will privilege those people organisations which are brought up in a culture of binary opposition surveillance, intruder or non-intruder, um, should they be there or should they not be there, have they been monitored successfully or, or, or not, that will tend to, um, the culture will, I'm trying to say the culture will move gradually over towards the, the, the culture of the private security industry and away from the old culture of, of uh, social work. The size of the CRC areas, there's 21 of them compared to the 35 Probation trusts will, and okay, consortia are bidding for these things, and some of the consortia will be combinations of the private security company, elements of the voluntary sector, and possibly probation mutuals. But they will tend to be led by the big companies because the big companies are used to big companies like Capita or um, and, and various others. Capita handles our pensions, by the way. If you're in in the uh, polytechnic, like me from the old polytechnics. Um, sector in particular. I think every all university pensions are handled by capita now, but um, they've got the infrastructure. They they've got the management methods. They 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 you know they 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 can handle large areas, um, and again that will tend to place them in in, in a a leading role. They've got economies of scale. That they'll be able to bid um, for contracts at the lowest prices. And they will continue, finally, they will continue that process which, which probation already had developed. I mean, a friend of mine said, um, again, a probation officer, the same guy, said, uh, he said, probation's only got itself, itself to blame. And I don't go quite that far. You know, it's, it, in developing this orientation towards risk management and um, um, surveillance and, and uh, public protection, it's in a sense... And okay, probation officers have resisted in all sorts of ways the, these these methods, but um, in ways, if I had more time, I'd, I'd, I'd like to discuss. But um, basically, we've prepared ourselves to be handed over to private sector security companies who who come from a culture precisely of that of surveillance, monitoring, and de-skilling. Um, and so, for all these sorts of reasons, it's. In the relationship between those two, the, the old voluntary sector and the private security companies, people are worried that it's the latter that will become the hegemonic force. Now, the the final uh, what time we start? Twenty? Oh, that's okay. The final section, and again, I've got the logo of Group Four Security up there because when I wrote this, they they were still the major bidding. Um, thing that there's a very interesting debate to be had, which again you're only finding in political science and political sociology, really, of the fusion of the state and large sections of the security industrial complex. In other words, privatisation no longer grasps the essential point that what's happening, what's being built, is a new security assemblage. If you want to use um, 
Ericsson's phrase or um, the Dutch sociologist uh, Saskia Sassen, who's talked about new assemblages in the in, uh, part state, part private, new fusions of institutions which handle um, particularly global problems. The things we're familiar with are, are this. We're very familiar, for example, in defence subcontracting that uh, old retired generals and retired defence ministers find themselves, find themselves on the boards of uh, big armaments manufacturers. That's the first thing, what I call clientelism. It's, not, it's more or less an accurate use of the term interchange of personnel. The guy who, this is true, the, 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 the guy who um, wrote some of the initial contracts in the Ministry of Justice for privatisation. And G4S, of course, has had a foot in, in, in subcontracting probation services for some time, particularly in areas like electronic monitoring, which is where they got into trouble. Um, I'll come to that in a minute. Um, and um, supervising community payback schemes. Um, the guy who was writing the... Um, um, in 2011... Was, was writing some of the, interna- the, the initial uh, privatisation contracts to see how they worked in the Ministry of Justice, reappears as the head of G4S probation services. David has had 25 years... Uh, in other words, the, the, the same dynamic of the interchange of personnel, I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but that's how it works, that, that the big companies um, poach or personnel shuttle between the... Um, and then, you know, the Ministry of Justice itself can... can uh, um, if it likes, uh, appoint consultants and advisors from that section of the industry, which is, again, a sensible thing to do. But you get the fusion of, of personnel. A second theme which has been identified in a number of discussions where private um, sector companies have come in is lock-in, is, is what uh, one commentator called lock-in. That is that the, the group, become, once you've privatised it, that group becomes indispensable. See, when Tony Blair famously uh, stopped the serious fraud office from investigating BAE systems and said, this company is too crucial, <laughs> both to our arms contracting and our export drive, they're being investigated for fraud by the SFO, um, you know, is regarded as a horrendous thing to do. It hadn't, hadn't happened since we beheaded Charles I, but sort of interference in the um, thing. But it was, he was basically saying... Certain companies are virtually part of the state and will be, should be treated as such, and, and we're not going to have them prosecuted because they are too indispensable. Now, that sort of, you know, once you've privatised all your contracts, once you've lost your expertise to the private sector, then it becomes indispensable. You can't do without it. And, of course, it's, to all intents and purposes, it becomes part of the um, criminal justice system. The flip side of that is the state itself debilitates and, and loses its loses its own expertise. I mean, there's a general commentary on the state of the British civil service of, of, of having far more private, private um, consultants, of being smaller, of losing a lot of the old expertise it, it once had. And I, I'm thinking of the sort of departure of people in the Ministry of Justice who, who understood probation, people like David Faulkner, for example, who many years was, was a senior civil servant and um, understood the... Uh, needs of uh, and how the probation system worked, those people will gradually disappear or they will be replaced by people, by consultants. And so the state itself becomes less able to take an independent and critical view of the vast private security or private enterprise that, that it's now sort of locked into subcontracts with, subcontracts with. The final point about globalisation is... Um, 
that that um, these companies, particularly G4S, were, were, are global companies and they have um, a worldwide reach. They operate in many, many countries. They operate, there's a very good study by two Canadian sociologists of, of a G4S's operation in, in South Africa, for example. And, of course, they act, these vast multinational companies act as conduits for the for their own, they have their own, they are their own conduits for the, for the transmission of cultures, concepts of security, even concepts of human rights. Um, I mean, without naming any names, when, when, when I hear about what, what happened in, 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 a, in a South African prison, which had to be taken back into state ownership, but, but was in the hands of the private sector, and I hear about the death of Jimmy Mabenga and the, uh, at the hands of private security agents, I see you know, possibly third world notions of human rights flowing into the first world. I mean, we are dealing with very, very powerful global entities, which are more powerful than, than nation states in, 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 in some respects. But finally, the system has changed a bit, or on the surface, as I say, it's not quite um, the cut and dried thing, because what's happened recently, and this will be my last point, I mean, there are neoliberals who say, you know, this corporatist stitch-up between um, the big security companies and the state. This is not free, you know, this is not free market. Uh, this is not the real free market. We, we, we you know, we're advocating something else. Um, Policy Exchange, the right-of-centre think tank, in 2012 published a very interesting... Um, document on uh, electronic monitoring, of course, which Group 4 Security had a, had a big, and Serco had big contracts, but then which sort of probation becomes more and more reliant on. Um, and Policy Exchange said, look, um, we must get around this um, stitch up at the level of the state. What, and what they advocated was, was that electronic monitoring should be handled by the new police and crime commissioners, should be decentralised, and they should be the, the purchasers. Um, and it shouldn't be anything to do with the Ministry of Justice at all. It should be at this sort of local, decentralised um, level. And um, their ideas were sort of helped, again, by the, um, the sudden alleged criminality of key large providers. You know who I'm talking about. Um, massively overcharging, allegedly, the Ministry of Justice for um, electronic monitoring. Allegedly monitoring, uh, sending in bills for people who were dead or, or no longer being monitored and so on and so forth. An accident, it can happen, you know, when you've got a big accounts department that falls asleep on a Friday afternoon. But, but the um, and policy exchange were, were uh, and, you know, the SFO are involved and so on, and soon maybe one won't have to use the word allegedly. But uh, the, the um, in fact, you probably don't know, but I'm using it anyway just because this is being recorded. But, but the, um, they were very keen, policy exchange were very keen on a, on a, on a little company called Buddy, Buddy Insight, which was developing a new GPS-based electronic monitoring system, which is much more reliable than the radio, frequent, radio beacon frequency-based systems. We see you wherever you are, through your iPhone or whatever, or the thing around your neck, and you can't escape. And um, However, and, and, and they saw it, that was quite a different, if you read the policy exchange report, it's quite a different view of neoliberalism. It's a genuine sort of free market version of uh, in this particular area of, of technology saying that we must you know commissioning and, and purchasing should be done at a local level and they identified the police 
and crime commissioners as the new sort of gauleiters of, of uh, areas which would subcontract for electronic monitoring. Um, of course, I didn't say much for, for the subordinate position of, of the probation trusts, but um, there was at least what I'm, I'm saying for the record, if you like, there, were, there, there are neoliberal views which are more interested in preserving competition at a more local level. The sad story of Buddy, I think, was that it, it entered into negotiations with the Ministry of Justice for um, the new contract for electronic monitoring, and the talks broke down rather acrimoniously, which you can um, read about in the press. So that acts as a sort of um, a slight qualification of my thesis, because one of the consequences is, is that the two key large providers, did they jump or were they pushed? Group 4 Security and Serco are no longer in the bidding for the first round of, of probation contracts, although, as I say, they will be back. Finally, ladies and gentlemen, I bring you a map, um, courtesy of Russell Webster's website, which is the latest information we have um, on the bidders of, for the various CRCs. And um, obviously, I'd be able to read it at, at that distance. Um, I was horrified to see in London there are only three bidders, because it's quite a handful, isn't it, London? Um, and I looked, I mean, I tried to do, this is the final thing, I, I tried to, this is my own calculations, again, using information on Russell Webster's um, website, which I try, tried to see who was bidding for, for what in the first round. Um, okay, G4S and Serco are nowhere to be found, but, but Interserve, for example, which is bidding for 11 of the areas, is a very similar sort of group. Its, its background is in recycling, demolition, healthcare, energy management, and they do do some police support operations, and they're very experienced in payment by results system. They have, as far as I know, very little experience in probation. Rehab Co., I mean, we're talking, again, consortia with new, um, new names. That does contain one of, which is one of the bidders in London, does contain one of the leading um, voluntary sector charities, um, Catch-22. But as you look down the list, um, I'd be pleased to tell anyone where they can go and, and, and get this information, a very good uh, probation website. You find that an awful lot of these bidders, there are some probation mutuals there, there are some voluntary sector groups there, but an awful lot of them have done our concern with security, surveillance. Uh, a large number of them have done work already with the work programme. In other words, getting people on, on job seekers' uh, um, allowance. And now they're extending from the work programme. Um, A4E is down there, which you may have, have heard about um, in, in, in a couple of places, and it's part of a consortium in another um, and so we, we've, we've got a more mixed um, bag. But it seems to me that, that if the things I've said um, about uh, large areas, about the inbuilt, sort of bi inbuilt uh, bias towards the large providers um, from the security industry are there, with, with, within a sh relatively short period of time, we will see the return of the really big um, security companies. And I leave you with this thought... This is a this is a, a shot from the trailer. I hope they, nobody won't mind me showing this. But, but, but from the the sci-fi film Elysium, where Matt Damon, who's back, you can see Max, the hero, goes to see his parole officer in the early stages of the film. The parole officer is a robot, who offers him a tranquilizer, and then says, uh, "Would you like to speak to a human?" And Matt says, "No, no, don't bother." <laughs> is that the future of probation? And if, if we read some of the things that Michael Teague has 
has eloquently told us about the uh, way things have gone in the United States. That may well be the direction of travel. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. This is a recording from the University of Leicester. For more information, please visit le.ac.uk.